Welcome back to the Outer Circle Inner Stillness Lives of the Sober series. Uh, this is again uh, conversations, reflections on the sobriety way of life, the spiritual way of life, where they intersect, come together, and uh, lately asking the question, how do sober people live? So today I get to interview the one and only most wonderful, most incredible Michelle Mannix. Yeah, and we get to hear some story. So, hello, Michelle. How are you? I'm doing good. What a uh, what an introduction. Uh, Thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. Uh, and I wonder if you could complete it a little bit. Could you let the listener know where you are in the world, in the recovery world, in the professional world? Um, what are some interesting things about you? Wow. Well, I. Um... Speaking about recovery, I just celebrated uh, August 17th um, was my 38th year of being uh, clean and sober and in the program. Uh, and I feel very blessed and grateful for that. Um, I'm grateful for that every day. And it just really gets emphasized when you celebrate an anniversary. So the timing for this is is incredible. Um, yeah, that is. Yeah. yeah, thirty-eight years. That's that is really incredible. Uh, really, really remarkable. Yeah, yeah, really remarkable. Yeah, and I couldn't have done it without the support of community and fellowship and all sorts of things that I'm sure we'll get into. We just just to say that um, as I start off here. Yeah. Um, a little bit about myself. I am, uh, I'm an older adult. Um, I am married to uh, someone for uh, 31 years. Um, she is my wife of, of many lived experiences. We travel a lot, which is very exciting. Um, we do not have any kids, but we have a, a dog blazer who's very important to us and dear to our hearts. We just recently moved to the Pacific Northwest. I am officially, we are officially a resident of Seattle, Washington, and we've been here for about a year. We came from the Portland area where we've been for about 14, 15 years. Um, we've had the experiences of being a, and the luxury and really the honor of being able to travel and move around as we needed to and as the wind had taken us. Um, so here we are in the Seattle area and it's, it's been really quite, um, quite awesome, quite, quite the experience. Um, my background is in behavioral health and working with individuals in the houseless community and working with people who struggle with um, mental illness and uh, persistent mental illness and substance use disorders. I've been working with folks for a very long time. Um, I started this years ago as I ventured into my early path of recovery. Um, and I continue to do so now. Uh, I'm actually at a junction in my career where I'm maybe shifting a little gears while I still have a practice of teaching. Um, I'm diverting a little bit of time to maybe a private practice. I'm, I'm unclear yet. 
So we'll see where this journey takes me. So that's that's a short, long answer to what's immediate in my life right now. Yeah, there's so many experiences in there. And, uh-huh. uh, and yeah, private practice could be a really exciting venture coming up. Yep. So I um I'm a little I'm a, I'm a little pulled towards it where you can kind of run your own hours and days and you know who can I work with and continue supporting in their journey and uh, yeah so we'll see we'll see yeah so me coming from the private practice world I I, I must say the the capacity to really kind of pick and choose and really specialize and really develop a uh-huh. niche has been really fun. I, uh, every now and then I get tempted by the idea of like going back to like the structure of everything, but, right. but the, the self-determination aspect is pretty fun. So thinking about story then, and you've come a long way, done a lot of work with a lot of people. And like you said, a lot of it came out of your own recovery journey. Could you say a bit about uh, what you're in recovery from and uh, how you define sobriety for yourself? Yeah, yeah. I I will say um, the first answer to that question would be I am recovering from alcoholism and uh, drug addiction. Uh, My main drug of choice was alcohol. And I also had a period of time where I used uh, methamphetamine and and stimulants. So my recovery is from uh, alcohol and stimulants in in particular. I'll also say that I am a recovering uh, nicotine addict. I um, smoked for probably 30 years. Um, and it was very much connected to my alcohol and my drug use. And I think it's important to say that because for me, it created this unmanageability around my life. I was quite powerless over that substance. And in fact, which is a part of my story, um, when I put down nicotine at, um, I was eight years clean and sober, I put down nicotine. And I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder. Um, Nicotine had apparently been covering up and managing and keeping my um, depressive symptoms at bay. You take away the nicotine and my um, uh, depressive disorder kind of flared its head, Um, which is when I then got into... um, treatment and recovery and receive some supports for my, um, for my depression, major depression. Yeah. I really appreciate you bringing that up. Uh, anecdotally, I've, I've often heard that nicotine has been mm-hmm. harder to quit even than meth than any of the other things. Uh, so I'd love to hear your opinion on that. Um, but, I, but I'm appreciating how you're talking around the intersection of here's all of these different substances. Here's like Mm -hmm. the classically understood hard drugs. Here's alcohol, here's nicotine, Mm -hmm. here's depression, Mm -hmm. uh, which sometimes isn't categorized with, with addiction, but, but I love the way you kind of recognize they're all working together or they're Mm -hmm. part of the same issue. They're they're part of you. They're part of your journey. And so it sounds like in addressing the addictive part that necessarily meant also addressing the, the, the depression part, and there's that whole interaction going on. 
totally. And and it's it's clear to me now. At the time, it wasn't clear, but it's clear to me now that if I hadn't paid attention to my depressive symptoms, then at some point um, I either would have hurt myself or relapsed or had a reoccurrence from uh, substances, my methamphetamine and my alcohol. So they're all very much interrelated. Yeah. Um, I, I will say the, the, the things I do for my recovery today um, isn't necessarily distinguished, whether it's for my behavioral health needs or my uh, substance use disorder needs. You know, they're very much interwoven interwoven with with one another Mm, yeah the interwoven indistinguishable nature that that kind of is answering a question i was thinking of is you know 38 years into it uh if he had not addressed nicotine if he not addressed depression do you think he'd still be clean and sober from alcohol and drugs well it, it it's hard it's hard to say isn't it but but i would say that nicotine um just a comment on what you said earlier was actually very, very, very hard to give that up. It was extremely hard. In fact, in a lot of ways, it was more difficult to give nicotine up than than um, my alcohol and stimulants. Um, you know, we know nicotine hits all certain receptors of the brain that also are triggered by alcohol and all sorts of other things. You know, it's important for me to name the drugs of choice that I struggled with. I will say that sobriety for me is being abstinent. Um, and for me, it's it's not doing at all uh, substances that potentially hit those same receptors. Um, so, you know, it's clear to my doctors that I can't do um, pain medicines or, or benzodiazepine. While they weren't drugs of choices of mine, um, you know, um, even doing bits and pieces of these sorts of substances could trigger a potential um, flare-up and an overall reoccurrence of my substance use disorder. Mm-hmm. And, um, and these are my thoughts. This is this is how I, uh, you know, move through my recovery path on believing, and this is what's important to me. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. And uh, but uh, um, I want to actually give that a, a high amount of value in that it's easy for us to talk theory. Here's the science. Here's what the textbooks say. Um, but then, uh, like that has to be lived out in a way. And so, right. you, you know, this kind of this this sort of query is meant to look at say, well, so for the people who have pulled it off over long term, like, yeah, not necessarily like evidence based, research based information, mm-hmm. but it's it's your story. And so I was like, you know, in your story. Uh, an abstinence approach, an abstinence from a, a variety of things altogether has right. been helpful, has been necessary. So right. that feels important to know. For me, it's an integral part of my overall path. I understand. And of course, I work with people um, whose approaches are different. And, um, you know, it's it's whatever works for you and me and, and others. Um, that's important. Yes. 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 Because everyone is on their own journey. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. not everyone gets as deep into addiction. Therefore, not everyone needs the same supports getting out. Uh, you know, not everyone's facing the same levels of challenges or has access to the same resources. So, yeah, we really do need to keep in mind that individual nature of things. Right. Yes. 
Um, for you, uh, you know, thinking back to to the early days of, of recovery, uh, was there a key moment for you that helped transition from uh, some? Well, I guess uh, I'm assuming a period of ambivalence because sometimes that shows up for people. But if if you had that, uh, what helped you transition into uh, out of ambivalence, moderate uh, investment into a, a full scale total commitment to the process? For me, I was um, living in San Francisco at the time, and I had a very, very important job that I had tried endlessly to be a part of. I was actually a recreational therapist at um, uh, San Francisco Recreation for the Handicap, and um, I had been working there, and I had a boss that... Um, confronted me and pulled me aside and uh, confronted me, so to speak, and wrote me up um, and said, unless you get into some sort of treatment, your job is, is in jeopardy. Um, I was very um, shamed. I was mortified. I was, I think, defensive. Um, I was very scared. And um, I got into treatment at that point. Um, and I was able to salvage my job and my career at the time and, and move forward. Um, my journey is I was aware that alcohol was problematic. I mean, what a, one of the um, suggestions that my boss had said was that I smell and reek of alcohol, that they were e evidence that um, I had been drinking at work um, because of the odor. Um, so I actually put down alcohol and um, recognizing that potentially that was problematic, but I continued with my stimulants. Um, and interesting enough, I continued using stimulants um, for about three years until a friend of mine confronted me. Um, he too was in the program at the time and he confronted me and said, you know, <laughs> what are you doing? You know, that's sort of thing. And, you know, one of those come to Jesus meetings and actually it was effective, you know, um, my original intervention with my boss worked for the alcohol and my, my buddy, John, his name was, um, uh, confronted me about the stimulants and it, and it worked. Um, and then I got myself into treatment at the Haight-Ashbury Free Clinic um, in the Haight-Ashbury um, district of San Francisco. Hmm. Um, so I'm an alumni. When I go to these conferences and I see Dr. Anaba, um, he and Dr. David Smith, these are these gurus, you know, that I look up to now because they were so instrumental in, in the recovery world. Um, I see them on the circuit and I go up to them and I said, Hey, I was a, I was a client of yours years ago. Yeah. So it was exciting. So that's my full, that's my full story. Yeah. That's great. Um, yeah. Oh, I bet those alumni moments are really special. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, and, and it's interesting revisiting them um, live here and with with someone. Um, so I appreciate I, I appreciate that as well. Thank you. Always. Yeah. 
Yeah. I wonder I wonder if you could speak a little bit to this idea of relationships and recovery and what's the the role the the need for them. It, it comes up I notice as a consistent area of like pushback among uh, newer clients like ah why do I have to go to a group or ah why do I need people why do I need an accountability partner? Uh, what are some things you've observed over the years? Why do people need group and community and, and things? Yeah. Um Wow, it's it's a it's a quite a great question, and I um, personally um, is such a strong proponent for the fellowship. And when I say fellowship, this could come in a variety of different settings. It could be your traditional twelve-step model. Um, and for me, at the Haight Ashbury Clinic, my fellowship were my groups, and I did groups in a setting. Um, and it's really that, that developing a relationship of people that are healthy, that are marrying back to you, um, uh, skills that, that, that you need to move forward in healthy ways. Um, your relationships hold you accountable to certain healthy behaviors, um, and the biggest part of this for me has been and still is, if you can do it, I can do it. And that's been the magic for me. If, if this person can do it, I can do it. And I think that's, that's the magic in these types of settings, whether it be your traditional 12-step model or IOP intensive outpatient settings or the Haight-Ashbury Clinic. I mean, it doesn't matter where you're at. Um, if they can do it, I can do it. And that's so powerful if it's driven home. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and it's not unusual that a lot of us, or I won't speak for everybody, but for me, um, relationships growing up were risky or tentative or unpredictable or, um, you know, not, not built on trust. Um, people got hurt, you know, and people were spoken to in unhealthy ways. Uh, relationships in, uh, in the recovery uh, community are, in theory, based on um, openness and honesty willingness to participate in this dialogue and this, um, this companionship. Um, and here, I, I know this is corny to say, but um, doing these sorts of things that are so, so, so challenging, you can't do it alone. You can't, or I haven't been able to. I mean, you, you can think you can muckle through it, um, but oftentimes you're left to your own thinking, which oftentimes can be unhealthy or isolative or lonely. Mm -hmm. There's nothing better than, you know, driving a conversation with somebody and getting validation and being heard and being respected. Mm -hmm. um, anyway. Yeah, there does seem to, there there does seem to be a balance between uh, in recovery, taking responsibility for one's own life. And there is a good amount of like individual work and even some like solitude work that, that needs to happen, like being able to be comfortable being alone, like that, that's an important thing. But, oh, but right. yeah, but especially over the long term, 
to you know, to do yeah uh long-term walking this journey because it's a hard journey it's a right. like whole life encompassing long decades long struggle uh you know doing anything that long alone is lame uh and just really difficult uh right. you know whether we're talking like sobriety or faith or you know supporting some sort of cause we yeah we, we need community that the like what you said that sense of well if you can do it i can do it or I'm even thinking a little bit more in present tense, like, like, well, if you're still doing it, I won't give up either. Uh, right. That's how it's been a little bit for me. That's so, right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, so thinking about the, the long-term life, uh, the long-term living, I wonder if you could uh, talk about um, what, uh, so as a, as a sober person, what sets you apart from, um, from from a couple a couple of kinds of people, either for people still caught up in their addiction or uh, non addicted people in general, or people who uh, aren't quite on the journey, what uh, what sets you apart as a sober person? I um, I think what what sets me apart is. Um, this really strong, strong belief that, well, a couple of things. One is I can't forget where I, where I came from. Um, I would imagine that people who don't struggle with substances, maybe, I mean, I can't speak for them, but my guess is they don't have to think about where they came from. Um, you know, I, I suppose there's variations to that. But for me, if I forget that I'm an alcoholic um, and addicted to substances, um, if I forget that even for a hot minute, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. Um, so for me, and you bring up the relationship thing, for me, it's about surrounding myself with people they don't necessarily have to be, you know, in recovery for uh, substance use disorders, but certainly people who are healthy and, you know, you know, kind of paying attention to, you know, self-help, you know, self, self-care and that sort of thing. Um, I can't forget, there was a time in my recovery um, about 10 years ago, um, I had um, swayed away or got off track or, you know, you know, lost track of my priorities. And I thought, huh, it's been so long since I drank alcohol. And at the time it was 28 years. So I thought 28 years, I mean, 28 years, you know. I wonder, I just wonder if I could pick up uh, wine. And I literally thought that there might have been a chance where I could control my wine use. And that scared the hell out of me. I had enough of a foundation and enough of an internal skill set where I, you know, got a grip. And basically, I ran back to the 12-step model and ran back into those rooms again and outed myself. I said, you know, I feel like a newcomer. You know, here I'm thinking again that I could potentially drink socially again. How outrageous is that? 
Um, I'm from the model where, you know, I've lost that ability to drink socially. Um, um, anyway, I, I say that to say that I, I think that's maybe what makes me different from others or others that who don't struggle. I can't forget where I came from. I mean, that's a long answer to, I, I always have to remember that I'm in you know, first and, and foremost. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I appreciate you saying that, that sort of, that sort of identity statement. Um, and, and I like the way, like I, I pick on words a little bit, but I like how you talk, talk about, I need to remember that I'm in recovery, like a little bit different than remembering I'm an addict, uh, kind of as a sense of this is the journey that I'm on. This is the path that I'm on. This is the value that I'm, that I'm holding. And yeah, remembering, remembering where one's come from, um, I, I, I don't know that that's like completely unique to recovery. I think, I think that shows up in a lot of like faith traditions also, but, sure. I, but, but I will say that I think that practice of looking back to know where one has come from in order to not go back or right. to shift the future, uh, not, not everyone does that. And that does there, that does seem to set apart a group of people, the, 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 the reflectors, uh, the people who reflect back, they, they have a it's a little bit different level of insight into themselves right. and, and into what's going on. Um, I would say that for me, some of my most painful memories uh, are gifts because it's those memories that remind me where I came from. Um, I still go to meetings today. Meetings for me is a place where I'm reminded of uh, what happens um, if I'm caught off track. Uh, and the other piece to that is, and a piggybacks on that relationship thing, is service is a really important piece to me, that giving back to others. Um, they don't have to be, you know, struggling from substance use. Uh, oftentimes they are. Uh, but it could be just people who are more fragile, more vulnerable, or stuck, or need some, you know, support or cheerleading. I'm a great cheerleader, you know, and that's important to me. It's a part of my spiritual practice. It's a part of my emotional living, um, mindful and comfortably um, and stable you know, is that giving back in service? And I do it in a, in a, in a variety of different ways. Um, but that's important. Um, and the fellowship talks about that. Um, and different recovery settings, you know, talk about community, right? As you bring up earlier, relationships, but that notion of giving back. Yeah, because that, that places you in as a link in the chain of you oh, re you've received... Uh -huh benefit now you're giving that same benefit uh you're part of a legacy part of a lineage and right. uh, tangent on, on a lot of levels i feel like that's something missing from from a lot of people's lives in you know we, we don't uh you know we don't necessarily know a lot of our ancestors or or the, the context of the life in which we live and can tend to be these free-floating ungrounded radicals because of that um but what i've, what I've observed is people who do have a sense of here's my ancestry maybe quite a bit back um, here's 
the whole context of like my history, my tradition, my my place. There, there, there's a groundedness to to folks like that. And so, yeah. So this idea of kind of sandwiching yourself in between like those who have given to you and those to whom you are also giving feels like that would make it more stable. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Um, you know, the fellowship. You can't keep what you don't give away. While that's corny, it's kind of true. You know, role modeling. I feel I feel really strong about role modeling. Um, I've maintained my sobriety by others who have role modeled and reached out to me. Um, it's humbling. Um, it it restores my gratitude. Gratitude is a, is a huge piece um, path. Um, and it's one of the ways I uh, also remind myself where I, I come from and to show appreciation. Gratitude is huge for me, um, huge. Um, and hope, levels of hope. Um, I know that the people that I work with often don't have high levels of hope. I, I believe in sharing hope supporting people and finding their own hope. Uh, and that's what motivates us is hope, right? <laughs> you know, what's your level of hope today? Well, you know, mine might be a seven or eight, you know, and I need to get it up higher in order to stay motivated and move forward. You know? Yeah, definitely. I've sometimes heard hope and vision paired together as similar yeah. aspects of a thing. Like, you yeah. know, the, the capacity to look forward, the sense of there is something in the forward oh. featuring feature to look at. That's really necessary. Totally. And, yeah. and uh, you know, for me as a clinician, for me as a person in, in recovery, uh, I think it's so powerful when people who are very vulnerable and fragile and really don't have a whole lot, you can support them in finding hope in really simple things. And that's helpful. And it yeah. gets it, it, it keeps people moving and it keeps people energized and motivated to try harder and move forward. You know? Yeah, there really is a lot of room for creativity there, which oh, totally. can, can get fun. Totally. Yeah. So kind of thinking about a, a practice around gratitude and a practice around hope, uh, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about uh, daily practices or um, which might might be a little bit different than meetings. I mean, one could go to a meeting every day sure. and sometimes we do, but, but, but again, like long-term, what are the things that are important for you to have in your life every day in order to um, be all? Um, I think a daily recognition um, and an internal reflection on who I am today. Um, that sometimes happens before I get up out of bed. It sometimes happens in my exercise program. Sometimes it happens if I'm just sitting, you know, outside in the backyard re reflecting. Um, you know, this notion of day to time has been really, really, really important. Uh, mindfulness strategies are super important. Uh, relaxation is really important. Um, keeping things um, in the present, in the moment, 
Um, I think when I've struggled with fear, um, it's been around future tripping rather than keeping myself grounded for today. Um, radical acceptance is important to me. Um, not forming opinions of how I do things, um, not being critical of myself, but maybe learning ways of doing things differently or in healthy ways. Um, being present, I think really being present and being open and honest as, as much as I can. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I love all of that as far as mindsets, attitudes, uh, it yeah. seems like you're really getting into like, this is how a sober person thinks, or these are the kinds of things yeah. that a sober person has to be aware of, paying attention to prioritizing, uh, you know, being, being, you know, not being critical of yourself or of others, being present, being honest. Yeah. Uh, I wonder, uh, again, kind of digging into to the details, maybe for someone who's new to this idea of inner awareness, inner reflection, slowing down on a, on a practical level, um, and I mean, recovery isn't all about like skills and techniques, but what are some like specific ways that you do mindfulness or you do presence or you, you do honesty? Um, I, I think a, a lot of it or some of it is, um, you know, running is really important to me. I, I should clarify that and say jogging. So jogging is where I get, you know, into myself, um, you have to <laughs> while you're running because you get tired. Um, and I actually did it today a handful of hours ago. As you get tired, you're forced to do a step at a time, you know. So it's this really conditioning of slowing your brain down or focusing on what's in front of you, um, along with the breathing and the reframing. Reframing is like a super important uh, skill uh, or trait that I rely on all the time. Reframing some of my thoughts or my thinking. Um, yeah. Is that, does that answer the question? I think so. Yeah. Uh, I mean, definitely a lot to explore here. So, you know, you need to talk about running. So as a, you know, which is one example of like a daily practice of movement, uh, some sort of moving your body, exercising, uh, you know, stretching something. Um, when you're talking about something like, like, like the reframing, I mean, that, again, that's a nice, really specific sort of uh, mental discipline. But I guess one of the themes I'm hearing that you talk about is a lot of like uh, intentional inner dialogue. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe, may, you know, maybe you're doing that in your head as you're going, maybe you stop and, you know sit down on the floor and close your eyes and breathe maybe you journal right. um but but however you get there it sounds like you're you're frequently checking in with yourself and noticing your thoughts and and i guess that would be like the the technique to share with somebody is just like you know however one gets there be doing this sort of inner dialoguing right you know i'd like to say uh, there's certainly that timing out where like i go down to green lake down here and i'm by myself and you do, you know, sometimes sit aside and just kind of reflect and chill out and just think, you know, or take a, you know, a daily inventory. If, if we were to put some program folks to it, 
um, and just to kind of see and reflect and, and, and attach to that as what am I experiencing emotionally with these sorts of thoughts? You know, are, are things sitting okay with me or are they not sitting okay with me? Or are there things that I need to shift? You know, that sort of thing. Um, I, I will also say, um, well, this sort of thinking is great in practice. It doesn't happen all the time. You know, I use distraction techniques all the time. You know, um, you know, we can't always be that mindful, right? So I do things that that distract me and give me a break as well. So so I'll, I'll say that work yeah. has work has always been a place where you know you get distracted from your internal work and you're working on your you know you're you're working on your career or your business. Um, yeah, I think journaling um, historically I haven't journaled in, in a short hot minute. But journaling has always been um, a really good outlet um, as well. I, I, I will say that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's really great. And I love the way that there's a variety of tools that you can draw yep. from. And, uh, you know, you, you've had time to, to dabble in a lot of things, try a lot of things. Uh, and I would uh, want to emphasize that to to the listener who who is newer in the process is to recognize there are a lot of things you could try and try a lot of them. Uh, <laughs> treat it like a sampler platter, and you're not going to use every technique. Like not everybody's going to do journaling. I like to journal because I'm a writer, but uh, you know I don't get to do it every day, and it doesn't work for everybody. So, um, but some but something to get you in your head checking in is is really good. Um, you know, getting back to this um, hope thing, um, concrete imagery really works. And it's having, and, and I do it with, with my hope. Um, you know, what are people's visions of hope? You know, if you put a symbol or a word or a picture to it, what would it look like? And, and for me, I know this is corny, but it works. Um, uh, stars, for me, reflect hope. Stars for me mean hope. So I have pictures of stars. I can close my eyes and envision stars. And there's something about that that stimulates this feeling of hope and resilience and moving forward, motivation and energy. You know, for some, it's a picture of their dog or their family or whatever. You know, for me, it's stars. Um, and that that concrete imagery um, for me works. Um, so that's that's a pretty hot tool that I often use and teach. I teach that a lot um, as well. Yeah, I I love that idea of of having concrete imagery, concrete imagery for for hope, for vision. Mm -hmm. You know, the stars, the sun, nature, mm -hmm. things like that. Yeah. Um, yep. I think you know, for for me, it's uh, it's especially within with, with the, the the faith context. It's it's the it's the saints, you know, the, the lives of these people who have done what I want to do better than I have done it, <laughs> and uh, you know, being able to picture here's here's a face and a name and a story, um, which I think is really good. Uh, which again, I'll, I'll tie this back to why we need community too, is because you know, 
even just on the local level, getting a sense for here, here's a local recovery elder, or here's somebody, somebody locally, or here's, you know, that old guy in that one meeting that's been around forever, you know, uh, you know, having the image of that person uh, right. to, to fall back on, I, I think can yeah. be really powerful. Yeah. So in the, so in the inverse, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just thinking, I don't know where this fits with anything, but what I think is important as, as we talk about this talk, this topic of longevity and sobriety. And as I've reflected on this, um, you know, it's really the approach that we take holistically and it's got to be comprehensive that when I was early, early, early in recovery, and you probably know this, but um, people are so self-absorbed. You know, I was so self-absorbed. I mean, the truth is I wasn't even thinking about service or reaching out or concrete imagery. You know, it takes every bit of energy to not drink or use. I mean, think about it. Most of us, I mean, I started when I was 14. By the latter part of my 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 um, alcoholism, I was drinking every day, all day long, you know. And um, so when I put down substances, that's all you think about, you know, because you're still obsessed, right? So you're still thinking about this, but you're finding ways of, of not drinking and using. Um, and it evolves into these comprehensive plans that are holistic. So once I was able to get out of myself, you know, I was able to think about my family and hobbies and interests and uh, volunteering and, you know, going to school and, you know, these sorts of, and my health, you know, um, you were really able to approach your whole being holistically uh, rather than years ago it was just that don't drink or use that's it you know um so yeah. the, you know so that i will say is different for me as i'm a person in long-term recovery you know i get to have a comprehensive path like there's lots of things on my path now that take up my time and energy and, and my support, you know, rather than just this, I can't drink or use. I was, I was going to wonder about that. Wonder about, you know, 38 years into it, how much time you spend thinking about recovery, you know, worrying about recovery it, because I, I have noticed that progression. There is, yeah, well, we'll, we'll be caught in our acting out cycle. And a lot of times people will shift into an acting in cycle where they're, they're abstinent, but just completely obsessed over staying abstinent. And like you said, that's all they can think about. All of the focuses on like getting to the next meeting, not using, not using another day. Woohoo, I didn't use today. But, the, but they're sometimes lacking the sense of, well, now that I've quit, what am I doing? And so I'm hearing you talk about that. It was a good progression to look for is you know, when have I shifted from using to not using? When have I shifted from I'm preoccupied with not using to various stages of now I am more interested in life, in living, in having exactly. relationships, having vision, having purpose. Exactly. Uh, one of the things I was picking up a little bit on earlier is you're talking about uh, a more stricter abstinence model. Uh, you know, I, I don't get the sense that you're missing out or that wasn't conveyed in like your your tone and the word and the, your wording. 
you know, you're not doing these things, but you have a full life around it, a very enjoyable, very thriving, exciting life. Well, and, and we'll talk about a reframe and early on in recovery, your reframe is you're not missing out at all. Absolutely not. You know, abstaining from this opens up all these doors, you know, that, that welcomes all these other sorts of ideas and activities and people and, and life and, and, you know, solitude and gratitude and appreciation and health and behavioral health and good nutrition, you know, so it, it really opens everything up. You know, this, this transition from being sidetracked, you know, that evolves over time. You know, I think for different people it happens in, in different ways. Um, I, I would say that the bulk of my day is not thinking about where I've come from and I can't drink and use today. You know, um, you know, it just it just evolves over time. It evolves over time and shifts with with what's with what else is going on and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. So completing completing this a little bit. So yeah, so you're talking about it's really important to remember where you've come from. Yep. To be reminded of where you've come from, part of why you might reflect, part of why you might go go to meetings and be part of yep, community yep. is to remember what you're doing, what you're about. On the other end of that, thinking about the hope in the future, um, what are um, what are you striving after, or what's making you continue, or yeah, what do you what what's what's your next phase of growth in in the process? Uh, you know, I don't I, I don't know if I could put a a, a, a word or it, it's more of an internal. Um, maybe feeling of, 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 I don't know, satisfaction or gratitude or um, I, I will say that that things are, are, are shifting for me as we speak. You know, I, uh, I'm not working full time. Uh, I'm working part time. Um, I have opportunities to, as I said earlier, uh, to maybe do a, a private practice or do I want to do more teaching or do I want to do, you know, more outreach and engagement on the street, you know, and, and what system do I want to do it with, you know, um, so I have these, it's open-ended you know, and I can, I can trust the process and I don't have to be freaked out and I have a skill set and I have support and I've got resources to kind of like figure this, this sort of stuff out. Um, yeah. It does seem like you have some, some, some options and yeah, totally. Yeah. But yeah. In, in what you're talking about though, uh, like, like I don't, I don't imagine you're going to have a, a, a dull or unpleasant, pleasant life, whatever happens. But in the things you're talking about, I don't specifically hear you talking about like, well, how can I like 
be more comfortable or how can I, when, when, when can I go in yet another vacation or something? Although sure. I mean, <laughs> who doesn't want right. to go to the Bahamas sometimes? Right, yeah. Right, right, right. yeah. 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 But you know, you're talking about, you know, teaching and, and totally. practicing and helping and still participating in the work and in the community, yeah. maybe just in some different ways. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, not just like a, a pleasure seeker, um, um, you know, borrowing you know, some of the developmental terms, you know, I mean, I'm here talking around things like legacy and, and generativity and like what's yeah. uh what, what what are you leaving behind yeah um it's interesting because chronologically i am a older mature adult um people often retire at my age you know so while that could be an option um, that's not what I want to do, you know. I want to continue moving forward. Um, and I feel grateful to be able to have the choice and the options and the time to figure that out. Um, not everybody has the, the, the privilege of being able to do that. Um, but so I don't, um, I don't want to retire this, you know, I don't want to retire now. I'm, I've, I've got some things I still want to do and keep, keep my finger on the pulse in certain areas. Um, yeah. I don't yeah. know I'm answering your question, but. Um, I, I, I think it does. And yeah. uh, cause it, cause it's a, cause it's a question around, you know, future and vision. And uh, it's making me think of uh, uh, one of the last, treatment centers I worked at, there was an older gentleman that worked with us and he was, you know, young and spry and getting around. And I figured he was like kind of in his like sixties or something. Cause he looked that, all that way. And then I found out at some point he was 85. I was like, what? Right. I, you're not in a home or anything. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, right. and, uh, and I actually had had a, a couple of people like that in my, in my parish as well. They, and they're our elders. And I think because they stayed active and they, because they stayed invested and like never saw their work as done. There was a sharpness and a brightness about them, and um, yeah, it seems like again, it's it's a it's a level of something that some people can attain to, to where they have a sense, a very clear sense of this is what I'm about. Both this is where I came from, this is where I'm going, this is what I'm about, this is the value, and the work's never done, and I need to do this work. Not necessarily to help you, although um, it is helpful for you, but very much like for me, like this is for for my okay. growth to do yeah. this. And, and and I will second that. And I will not kid myself. This isn't about people that I'm reaching out to. <laughs> this is for my own edification. You yeah. Know? Um, and you know, I grew up in New York, and and I was taught, you know, work hard, play hard. You know, so I get to play hard. You know, but I got to work hard you know, and working hard for me might look different than when I was 58, um, you know, being 68, you know, what does, what does work look like for me now? Um, and that's exciting. You know, it's exciting. And um, yeah, so I look forward to it. I mean, there's another chapter, right? Um, yeah. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that sounds great. I mean, it's, it's making me think a little bit about 
what what I hear is kind of the joys of uh, of grandparenting, where they get to like have all of the fun with the kids, and then sometimes right, right. their parents to do the hard right, work. Right. Uh, yeah. So uh, you know, someday someday I might have that for myself too. Uh, well, I'm, I'm sure you will. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, this this has been really great thinking about um, thinking about ourselves in 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 a story in 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 a process with with the past that we need to remember with the future that we need to consider with community that we need to be plugged into and uh and and our whole person that's needing to be brought into the process not just here's a bad habit or behavior but here's my body here's my mind here's my spirit that all need healing all together so then i I wondered this overall this overall health and wellness is based on a little bit of this and a little bit of that, right? Um, you know, and practice, practice, practice. You know, um, for yeah, me, it's, a, it's, a, it's about harmony, um, it's about balance, and it's about service. I mean, those are my my go-tos. Um, those are my go-tos. Yeah, those are really great. So just generally speaking, uh, related to things we've talked about or or not related uh what's what are some what's what's some key advice key wisdom uh that you'd want to pass on to somebody who's maybe in their first like you know one two or three years of recovery what do people at that phase uh really need to know i would say uh, it's a, literally a day at a time I would say never give up. And I would say it gets better. I mean, even I, I know this is corny and, you know, people say this all the time, but it's really true. Some, some of my worst days in, in sobriety are better than when I was drinking and using. And that, that's really clear, you know, um, and to remind people of that. And that everybody's capable of change. Everybody's capable of change. And everybody's got strengths. Tap into your strengths and and believe in yourself. Um, I think as we move forward, there's that, you know, I talk about this in my classes. Um, As people see changes, they become more confident. As people become more confident, they become more committed. And as people become more committed, people move forward, you know, um, and it's gratifying. Um, yeah. Everybody's capable of change. There's that hope again. Yeah. That, that That is really necessary. And it's it's going to be a different change for everyone and a different, totally. it happens in a different way, but. Totally. Some sort of change, some sort of better is available for, yeah. for all who really seek it and pursue it. And, and like you said, don't give up, stay in the yeah. process. Well, well, and I'll also say real quick that, that behavioral changes, anybody can participate in that. And it might not even be driven in putting down substances. You know, it, it's about making changes that reduce your risks of, of getting hurt or having consequences. You know, um, that's what I would say, that, that everybody's capable of making changes that reduces consequences or, or risks. Mm-hmm. 
and and maybe for some it it means that they're not abstaining, you know, uh, but they've made some sort of switch or choice that has reduced their harm or reduced their pain or consequences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we didn't talk specifically around around a more harm reduction moderation approach, right. but those sorts of approaches do seem to bring in this idea that change is necessary, but it doesn't all have to happen all at once. Exactly. And you do what you can. You change a little bit at a time. Exactly. Lately, like you said, these, these small stepping stones that set you on a different trajectory. Yeah. If that's what you can do, you do it. Well, and, and people get teased by that. So you you get teased by the notion that you've made a small incremental change. And that's what propels you to maybe make another change. And before you know it, you make a series of changes that has moved you from this spot to this spot. Um, you know, and, and maybe that wasn't even your intentions, but you're, you're, you're improving, you know, you're healthier or feel better. Or there's less consequences, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, no, there, there definitely is this, uh, to the, this potential to be really surprised in this sort of journey. Uh, you know, you know, you know, you think it's about one thing, you think it's done when you've quit the drinking, and then you then you discover here's this whole other world of growth and discovery, this whole other inner world, this universe within that I can encounter. And like, yeah, again, for for those who who wish to take that journey, it can get really exciting. It can be very exciting and. And people get inspired along the way, and then just that just feeds that moving forward. Yeah, very much so. Um, Michelle, if a if a listener wanted to reach out to you, uh, where's a good place to find you in the world, or on the web, or in any other way? My email. I don't know. Okay. Mvmanix at hotmail Okay, I'll have that in the liner notes. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. You're the best. Yeah. It's it's good seeing you. Thank you for this uh, dialogue. I really appreciate this a lot. Yeah, I appreciate it as well. Thank you so much. It's been great to hear story and perspective and 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 the hope too. I mean, I really appreciate hearing from yet another another person who's done it and awesome. using really plausible means. It wasn't impossible, and great. you're doing great. It's been really and that's really awesome. that's the message. If I can do it, you can do it. Yep, <laughs> and if you can do it. I'm not going to give up. All right. There you go. Thank you. Cool. Thanks, Michelle. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining me in today's conversation. My name is Reese Basimio. I'm an Eastern Orthodox Christian and a clinical counselor with specialties in substance use, compulsive behaviors, sexuality, and trauma. You can reach me through newpatterncounseling.com. This episode was mastered by Breakfast Puppies. Theme music is by Titus Lockard. Please like, rate, review, and share this podcast from all your favorite platforms. Please also consider showing your support of this work through contributing dollars through the podcast page at patreon.com slash outer circle. Thank you and see you next time.